Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month. We're doing a lot of these right now. <laughs> so there may be maybe more than one, just one a month. But Steve Anderson here. And uh, I'm going to date this uh, for a reason. Today is March 18, 2020. And uh, we are going to have a conversation today with Crown Council Resource Partner Barbara Freet with HR Advisors. Uh, Barbara's been a long time member of the Crown Council, a great resource partner, and a great resource for all things human resources. And we are going to have a specific conversation today about human resources, especially as it has to do with your team members in an environment when uh, you're having to make some changes to your schedule, you're having to do things a little bit differently. Barbara's going to give us some very specific tips and direction on how to manage in uh, a very tumultuous time. So Barbara, welcome and thank you for your time today. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure to, to be talking to you as always. And yes, our emails and phones are just blowing up with this issue and um, talking to a lot of dentists, a lot of Crown Council members, particularly by email, about their specific issues and um, it's a really unnerving and distressing time we're in, but hopefully I can help with some of the things that we'll talk about today. Yeah, you've put together some, some great suggestions. So let's start first uh, with some employment law terminology. Uh, this is not an area that, that most are real familiar with. So first off, let's talk about the difference between non-exempt and exempt team members. And you can define those terms so that everybody knows what you're talking about. And then in a situation like this, how they are uh, handled differently. Okay, this is a very, it feels complicated to most people, but the basic foundation of all wage and hour law nationally is, has to do with these classifications. So a lot of states use the Fair Labor Standards Act, the FLSA, as their guideline. And that's a federal law that's been around since 1937, amended a few times since. But a lot of states also have their own wage and hour law, but all of those use the classifications non-exempt and exempt. So let's start with non-exempt. Non-exempt means not exempt from wage and hour law. And these people are the majority of our workforces they're paid based on the hours they work. So you have to keep time records, and in certain states you have to record lunches, et cetera, but it's, they're paid overtime and it's all about the hours that they work. Exempt people are exempt from wage and hour law, and they have, um, they're, you're judged to be exempt if the functions of your job meet the requirements so people who are exempt in dental offices are the dentists. They fall under the professional exemption. Associates are also dentists, so they do the same. And practice administrators or office managers fall under the administrative exemption if they meet the duties test. So we can talk more about the duties test some other time, but the basic, those are the only people in a dental practice that meet the exemption standards. So most people are non-exempt, and even if you pay them a salary, it doesn't make them exempt. So as a key point, as a very key point, yeah. because I know that's violated a lot in dentistry, that they pay them a salary, 
even though technically they're hourly. So that that's a very important point. And there was even a dental management company back maybe 10 years ago that was going around telling dentists, just pay everybody a salary and you're good. They don't have to keep time records. So I was doing a lot of cleanup after that guy. Yeah, but yes, it isn't hourly and salaried. I like to discourage people from using those terms, even though they're very common, because non-exempt people can be paid a salary. It doesn't make them exempt. They still have to keep time records. They still have to be paid overtime, et cetera. So for everybody else in the practice, they are non-exempt the front, all the clinical people, even the hygienists, except for the dentists are non-exempt. Got it. So the reason, pardon me. Go ahead. The reason that this is important is because when you ask questions about, do we have to pay our employees when our practice is closed? The answer is based on these classifications. Okay, so let's give some examples. So let's say um, today we are not seeing patients for whatever reason. Well, if, if you're not seeing patients and there's no work for anybody to do, particularly hygiene and chairside people, then because they are non-exempt, they don't have to be paid. All law says that non-exempt people don't have to be paid if they are not working. So exempt now, people. Exempt, but, but how about exempt people? Right. So we're not seeing patients today and I have, have a, an office manager or business assistant. What's and, the term? Yeah, you're right. If they are exempt, then the rules are if exempt people do any work in a work week, they have to be paid for the week. The way exempt people are paid is you take an annual salary and you average it based on the number of pay periods you have. So if you're semi-monthly, you have 24 pay periods. If you're bi-weekly, you have 26. And you, you divide that number of pay periods into the annual amount and they're paid that amount every pay period. It's not based on the hours they work it's based on the average of their annual salary. So what happens if you have to close the practice because of coronavirus or shelter in place, like we are doing in California? And, and if nobody's working, what about those exempt people? Well, if you have a, an office manager who can work from home, still do accounting or call patients or whatever you have this person do, he or she is paid for that week. The only time you can dock an exempt person's pay is if they've used all their vacation or if you offer PTO, if they've used all of their PTO and they have none left. You can't, and if they use a full day off because they've run out of those um, benefits, then you can dock their pay. Otherwise, you can manage how much time they work if if you want to, you can say you can only work two hours and the rest of the day we will put, we will apply your vacation or your PTO. So it gets complicated from here. So if somebody wants more yeah. information about that, I will help them specifically. But the bottom line is you have to pay exempt people for any week in which they do any work. Got it. Perfect. Okay. Good, good differentiation and important to know. Um, we're going to get into some specifics here that 
vary from state to state. Every, you know, each state has their own specific laws. So I know you're going to speak in generalities. You'll use some specific situations like California because they have some of the most complicated employment law. Sure. Um, but I think just as a preface, um, every state is different. So depending on uh, where you're listening from, you really need to have local expertise. And I know, Barbara, you provide some of that um, state by state, but um, we'll talk about general things and then you'll have to do some research uh, if you're listening on your state specific situation. So let's talk about uh, just what's available uh, in terms of in, you know, in times like these uh, we'll talk about in just a minute uh, the term layoff, which we'll define in just a minute. Um, but short of that, uh, we're not, we're not, not there yet. Let's talk about what the resources and the options are available if your practice has gone to a modified schedule, you have team members that are not seeing patients, not working. What are the options, uh, first and foremost, that need to be considered? Okay, um, you're right. And the, the terminology, I'm a big person that believes that words and what you call things make a big difference. So thanks for bringing that up, Steve, because I agree with you. So a lot of states offer state disability insurance or temporary disability insurance. This can be used if somebody is sick. Your, one of your team members is themselves sick. They can collect under SDI or TDI, depending on your state and their eligibility. So that's something to keep in mind. If somebody is sick, whether they have the coronavirus or not, it doesn't matter. If they're sick and they can't work, even if your office is closed, they may be eligible to collect under state disability insurance or temporary disability insurance. If the, for the states that have paid sick leave, there are a number of states and they are being added uh, pretty regularly now. If your state requires you to offer paid sick leave, it's a mandated benefit. And depending on the way that your state or your city, some states don't offer it, but cities offer it. You should be familiar with that and you may be able to apply paid sick leave if a person is sick themselves. There's also paid family leave. Paid family leave is also being offered by a number of states. And if you wanna know if your own state offers these just call our office or send me an email and I'll tell you. But paid family leave is for care for somebody else who's sick in your family. So you may be uh, able to tell your team members that they are eligible to collect under that particular benefit. Then there are other kinds of benefits that states offer. For example, sometimes like California, we offer a work sharing program where if you have two people at the front and you're staying open, even on a reduced schedule, maybe only for emergency, you might share a job between two people just so they have a little income. And so there are ways to do work sharing or job sharing, depending on your state. There's also reduced earnings. In California, that's another benefit that is also administered by our Employment Development Department, the EDD, and people can, can sign up for reduced earnings. So if they work a little bit from home, but they can't work very much, 
they may be able to get benefits from that program and other states have some similar programs as well. And then uh, there's also a couple of terms that, that people should be aware of. I've been discouraging employers from using the term layoff or I'm going to lay people off unless they're going to actually sever the employment relationship. In the first place, I think it's psychologically disturbing for people to be in this situation and also lose their jobs. So most people have worked very hard to create a really good team. They don't want to lose their teams. Right. So they don't, I want to discourage them from using the term layoff and encourage the word furlough. Now, in some states, unemployment um, claim system, the terminology is really important. What we're doing here for most employers and most practices is a temporary layoff or a temporary furlough where people are not coming to work, but they're not that you're not severing the employment relationship. So read your the claim information, and I really suggest that our office managers, practice administrators, and sometimes the doctors too, go on to your state site and pretend you're making a claim so you can see the questions that are being asked and you can better guide your employees on how to fill out some of those claim forms because in my opinion, the government isn't absolutely excellent at clarity. So if we can go through some of the forms and be able to guide employees on how to fill them out and which words to use, that would be good. Perfect. Okay. So that, again, the terminology I think is critical. So uh, like you said, in some states, you know, it's, they use the furlough terminology in other states it's temporary layoff. But I think that the point you're making is the differentiation between severing the employment relationship and, and an option where you're preserving it, but then the availability of, of benefits for a temporary time, correct? Right. That's correct. I know in California, if you, if you use the term layoff, if somebody goes to the EDD to make a claim for unemployment, just regular unemployment, they will ask, have you been paid all of your vacation or all of your PTO? And if the employee says no, they won't give them unemployment. And that reduces their ability to get disaster unemployment insurance as well. So if anybody needs help on that in California, we can certainly help. Got it. Okay, so let's, let's walk down that road for just a moment. Because um, I know I've, you know I've heard you say, and I think... Um, the points well taken, which is if you can walk down a path where you retain your team members, that's the optimal thing in some way, shape, or form. You don't want to sever the, the employment relationship. So if there is a, uh, if there is a situation where um, a dentist cannot keep them on board paid and, and they do need to apply for state-funded benefits, then obviously the temporary terminology, whatever that is in your state, that, that's what you're looking for, correct? Right. Okay. Right. So let's talk about that as a, as a route for those that may have to go down that route. What are the things we need to know about going down that route? Well, if you send people home and if they can't work from home, like hygiene, for example, 
we get the question asked to us regularly, do I have to pay them if I send them home? And the answer, if they're non-exempt employees, which most are, the answer is no. Non-exempt employees are not paid if they're not working. Um, you can't really require them to use vacation or PTO, my attorney says, but you can certainly allow it. They're going to probably want it. And when people apply for one of these programs under unemployment, they can often use some of their paid sick leave or some of their vacation or PTO in addition to those benefits. It's called integrating their accrued benefits with the benefits paid under one of these programs. The theory is that those benefits, those, that PTO or that vacation, is not a, a currently earned wage. It was previously accrued. So it won't reduce the benefits that the person can get from any of these programs. So, but if they're getting a certain amount of benefits, let's take, for example, let's say Mary is making $1,000 a week. And since I'm math challenged, I have to use round numbers. And if Mary's making $1,000 a week and her benefit under one of these programs is say $600, she has a $400 um, shortfall there. So she may elect to use some of her PTO or her vacation to fill in some of that money. And you just pay her out what she requests between the benefit and the $1,000. She can't make more than $1,000, but she can get that little extra money if you integrate her accrued benefits with her unemployment-based benefits. So that helps people. Got it. Does that does that answer that? Absolutely. So they can they can at least integrate some of the benefits and take advantage of of everything. Now, my understanding with a temporary situation, if that's what um, the route somebody takes, it's a defined time period in most states. You have to you have to have a start date and a proposed end date, but the end date is flexible. And maybe you could speak to that because that probably is different state to state. The right, you mean the flexibility on the temporary, the temporariness of all of this? Correct. Yeah, the, you're right. We in California have a shelter in place through April 7th. Different states are allowing dentists to work um, and stay open, others are not. Like we, I know um, there's been different dentists have said that, that uh, some of the dental societies. I know the California Dental Association, and maybe Steve, you can speak to the American Dental Association, have rated dentistry as one of the most risky jobs there is. And I received one of uh, Amy, as a matter of fact, many of you know Amy Freed, who is my daughter who works with me. Amy received a really fabulous uh, letter from her own um, tax person who specializes in dental offices and it was about it's entitled uh, COVID-19 virus impact on you and your practice and I'm going to ask for permission to send this so that some of our clients can read it but it's definitely talking about the CDA in California what they say are saying and then what to do with your finances and this this um, accounting office makes some really good suggestions. So this just came in yesterday. So I'm gonna see if I can send that out. Got it. 
but yeah, it's a temporary situation. Right. So, and, and in most states, I believe you can, you can modify that based on what happens, but it, but it allows you to preserve the employment relationship yes. and they can still apply for benefits. And if you offer, this is something that has come up as well. If you offer health insurance, health insurance is not considered a wage for purposes of people applying for these benefits. But if you offer a medical reimbursement, so you give people $200 a month to apply to their own medical insurance coverage, that is considered income. Mm. So somebody, you have, that's one of the things we want people to be clear about when they communicate with their own staff uh, and they fill out these claim forms. What do the claim forms ask about health insurance? So if it's health insurance, a group plan that the practice offers, it's not income. If it's medical reimbursement and it's money that you're giving somebody, it is income. Okay, so let's let's talk about benefits for just a moment in a in a temporary um, temporary layoff or temporary furlough situation. So uh, there's a number of different choices that can be made by the employer, correct? In terms of continuing benefits, who pays for those benefits? Talk to us about that. Okay, most. Uh, health insurance, whether it's medical insurance or, or vision or dental or whatever somebody might have, if it's a if it's a um, an insurance a group plan that the practice offers, almost all insurance carriers require that you pay in advance. So everybody that has a group plan has already paid for the month of March, and in a number of cases you can't get a refund if somebody discontinues their coverage. Let's say you terminate somebody on the 15th of the month. Most carriers do not return a half a month's premium. The person is covered through the end of the month. So in the, in the case of people being sent home, not working, you've already paid for the month of March. Most employers are going to pay for the month of April because hopefully people will be back at work. Certainly, if you are staying open or you are handling emergency cases, you want to keep that health insurance going. If you have to close, let's say there are a few dental offices and a few of our other clients who are just closing. They've, they're, they're done for whatever reason. The insurance would run as long as the business exists. So, you know, most people are not closing in the middle of the month, but right. think full month coverage and think continuing group insurance going forward because we're hoping this is a temporary situation and everybody will be back soon. All right. So, so if it's a temp, so we're, we're talking about temporary layoff, temporary furlough benefits remain then um, if, if you have benefits in place for your team members. Right. Cause uh, you've already then, paid. Right. So let's say this goes into the next month. Um, another full month, then how are those benefits paid for? I'm sure, right? So the employer would pay for the full amount. And then if you have an employer portion, employee portion, how is that handled? Well, the employee would still have to pay. So um, sometimes employers will say, you know, make payments. They're not getting a paycheck. So usually that that employee portion, that contribution is deducted automatically from somebody's paycheck. If they're collecting any vacation or PTO or paid sick leave, uh, you can still deduct 
some of it, uh, if not all of it, depending on how much the, the paycheck is for. But I think because this is such an unusual situation that we're in, most of the my, our clients are um, giving people some leeway on that and just holding the debt until they come back and have a paycheck. And then they'll take pieces of what has been unpaid and add it to the new payments. I do wanna make it clear though, that if you're going to do that, you need to have a written agreement from your employee to take that extra amount from their paycheck. Every time you take something from an employee's paycheck, think, put it in writing. They have to authorize it. So, and that's pretty much statewide, I mean, all states. So um, we have forms for that kind of thing. If you want one of those forms, please let me know. Also, if you're going to reduce somebody's wages for this temporary time, that has to be done in writing. I had a dentist write yesterday and say that his hygienist wants to clean the office. So he said, how should I pay her? Well, we're not gonna pay her a production rate because she's not producing. So we're gonna pay her a reduced rate that they agreed on and put it in writing and then it works fine. The key is that everybody is on the same page. There's no misunderstandings and it's in writing. Got it, good point. Okay, you have given us some great information that's invaluable to get everybody up to speed on employment law and options and a lot of things that I know in many cases you've never had to really dig into. Um, as we wrap up here, um, what other remaining thoughts and recommendations do you have? We have in the last you know, week or so been trying to find as many resources as we can. We have a, a sheet on how to kind of manage people who are working from home, if anybody is working from home. Just some tips for people. I'm happy to send that to anybody who wants it. Um, after I get permission from this particular uh, dental accounting office, he gives some good suggestions here. If he gives me permission to send it to some of our clients, I will be happy to do that. If we did send out a, um, a mass email to our clients, if you aren't a client yet, but want this information, just send me an email and I'll send it to you. We have multi-state information and California specific information. So I'm happy to send anybody whatever they need, Steve, and it can be customized for their practice and their particular issues as well. Perfect. All right. So your email address. Barbara, B-A-R-B-A-R-A at H-R-Advisors dot net. So it's A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S dot net. Very good. And phone number. 925-310-4824. We are open. We're considered an essential business in California and in Contra Costa County where we are. So we're not at the office, but that phone will ring to probably Michelle. And if you ask for me, she'll tell me and I will call you back uh, or answer you by email, but we're open. Excellent. Thank you, Barbara, so much for all of your wisdom and being willing to share, especially right now in a very specific time where it's uh, very timely. So we appreciate you very, very much. 
thank you. And we all, of course, hope that everybody is well and that their families and their practices can function during this difficult time. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye.